Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 24, verses 19 through 20. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So here we are enjoined to be patient and bold in the face of wicked men and evildoers. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious of the wicked. We are told to be patient and be bold because we are reminded that there is a God in heaven and there is justice that will ultimately prevail. There will be no prospect for the evil man and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. But while we live in this world of confusion and death, there often seems to be good cause to fret because of evildoers or to envy the wicked. Wicked men and their lies can gain a stronghold or a foothold in cultures and societies. And this can look like temporal blessings. They can have power, they can have money, they can have wealth, they can they can they can look blessed and they they can make it look good on the other side of the fence. But the end result of their folly is destructive, wasteful, and scary. Injustice and oppression become rampant when wicked men rule, and there's much collateral damage. So it seems reasonable to fret in this context. And what am I talking about on the ground? I'm talking about when men seek to achieve what they describe as good ends, and sometimes the ends that they're seeking to achieve are legitimately good things, but they're trying to pursue them outside of God's prescribed manners. For examples, you can take your pick. You could look at ISIS. You can look at the sexual revolution in America, at socialism or materialism, and the list can go on. When wicked men make money or power their chief end, materialism, we can become envious of them. They've got the clothes, the girls, the cars, the vacations, the house, the parties, etc. Or when theft and redistribution of wealth are sanctioned, socialism, or even forced, justice is perverted and honest men are robbed of their rightful property. When fools, wicked men, and evildoers were permitted to redefine morality, the sexual revolution, justice was perverted, and innocent people continue to suffer from it. In the name of freeing and empowering women, they decided to make sex outside of marriage not only permissible, but encouraged. And all you need to do to see this is look at our movies, our music, 
our advertisements, and that list can go on. The result has been multitudes of casualties, broken homes, broken vows, exploitation of women, and the murder of millions of babies. When radical Muslims spread their beliefs with the edge of a knife, good and innocent people suffer. So in a world that's screwed up like this, we can have a tendency to get fearful, to fret. We can lose sight of the big picture that God's in control. We can be overwhelmed with indignation at the theft, with agony and shame at the senseless waste of life because of the lies of secularism. And we can be overwhelmed with fear of the terror of extremist Muslims. But this fear and trepidation, or the envy of earthly treasure, is sinful, especially if it causes us to capitulate to wickedness. And what I mean by that is if it causes us to not speak boldly and clearly God's truth in the face of it all. God is in control, and He will judge. We must believe this. We must stand strong for the truth, and where we have failed, we must confess our lack of faith. This reminds us to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please do it. our series on worship, and I told you about the general topics we would be covering. And today, we start with the fact that we worship one day in seven, and that while that one day was on the seventh day, the last day of the week, in the Old Testament, it changed to the first day of the week in the Christian era. But before we dive into that, though, I want to remind you about the importance of worship and its definition. Worship is important, and it's important because in worship, we meet with God in a peculiar way. We are drawn near to Him, and His presence changes us. One of the highest callings of our faith is to imitate Jesus Christ. And it is in worship and by the foolishness, by worldly wisdom, of the gospel preached that we become like Jesus. Worship becomes a pattern for the rest of our lives. So worship's importance being established, we define the Christian worship service as a religious ceremony in which God meets with His people. In worship, we are cleansed from our sins. We are consecrated. We are made holy for His service. We are communed. We draw into relationship with Jesus and with God. And we are commissioned. We are sent out by Him to do His work in the world. And we'll get into the details of all this in the weeks to come. But for now, I want to talk about why we do this weekly. Why do we do this every week? And why do we only do it one day? 
a week. We celebrate a weekly Sabbath. Weekly Sabbath. And the, the first reason we celebrate Sabbath weekly is that God created us for weekly Sabbath. He created us for it. God created us in His image. Genesis 1, verses 26 to 30. God created us in His image. And then God showed us how our weeks are to be lived in creation. He was an example for us. So He creates us in His image, and then He tells us how He works. Genesis 2, verses 2 to 3. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So God, okay, God is God. He can do whatever he wants. He could have created the entire world in the blink of an eye. He could have done it all and not even broken a sweat. He didn't need rest the way we need rest. He was infinite. But he did it this way in particular and for a reason. So that we might know what kind of God he is and how he works in the world. God created the world in such a way that it is filled with repetitive cycles. With patterns, the sun rises and the sun sets, and it was the first day. The sun rises and the sun sets, and it was the second day. Similarly, the seasons come and the seasons go. Every year to year to year. Every day the tide comes in and the tide goes out. The moon waxes and the moon wanes every month. And foundational to all of this in the pattern is the pattern of creation. And the pattern of creation is the week. The seven-day week. God created the world in six days and then he rested on the seventh day. Now the first we read in the scriptures about the Sabbath proper, what we call the Sabbath, as we know it from the Old Testament law, the first we read of the Sabbath is in Exodus. When God took the Israelites out of Egypt, where they were slaves, and then he miraculously delivered them through the powerful miracles of the, uh, the, the, the ten plagues. And then he divided the water and he baptized the nation as they went through the Red Sea. And then he gave them communion. That's what Peter tells us in manna. He gave them bread. And he gives them bread, he gives them communion, and he miraculously feeds them with this manna. And that's the first time we're introduced to the word Sabbath in the Scripture. Because when he tells them about this manna, he says, look, you're going to go out and you need to gather this food every day. God's grace, God's gracious provision for you so that you may live. He says, and every day you're going to go out and gather this food. Don't gather extra. Just enough for the day. Except for on the sixth day you gather twice as much. So that you have enough for the Sabbath. Because the seventh day is a Sabbath. 
And on the Sabbath, there will be no manna that comes on the ground because you need to work in the six days that God gives you to work and rest on the seventh. So he gives them this manna, and he does this, and he gives them the Sabbath in order to clearly teach them what it is to honor his Sabbath by forcing them to treat the seventh day differently than the rest of the days. Now think about this. I mean, there's not much more that's more vital to our life than eating. We eat. We need our food, right? And God told them, you need to do it this way. And then they didn't do it that way. And what happened? Well, if they didn't gather enough, they went hungry. And if they gathered too much, it got stinky and turned into worms, which is exactly what happened the first day they got the manna. Because they gathered it in and they were hungry. And they said, well, what if there's not going to be food tomorrow? So they gathered too much. And it turned stinky and nasty in their pots. And so Moses reprimanded them and said, no, you, got, you were only supposed to gather as much as you need for one day. And then on the sixth day, it comes along and everybody says, well, like this happened six days in a row. It's going to keep happening. So they only gathered enough for the sixth day. And the seventh day, it didn't come, just like Moses had told them. But they didn't believe. And they went hungry. And Moses reprimanded them for their lack of belief. So God forces them to treat the seventh day differently. And he doesn't do this just one week. He does this every week for 40 years, pounding it into their heads that you need to treat the seventh day differently. It's, you gather twice as much on the sixth day. And, 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 and there's a connection between the word Sabbath and the seventh. The word the Hebrew word for seven is Sheva, and the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, which it's a, a cognate word. That's, they're connected. The seventh day is the Sabbath. So that's the first we read of Sabbath in the, the, in the law. And here we learn that the Sabbath is absolutely an exercise of faith. God proves his faithfulness by every week providing that double portion on the sixth day. And every other day providing a single portion. And by not providing on the seventh day because they should have done their work on the sixth day. And so he, 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 he proves his faithfulness and at the same time he tests our faith in Sabbath observance. Now, shortly after God institutes the Sabbath with manna, the Israelites come to Mount Sinai in, in, the, uh, in Midian. And the next thing that happens is God comes down on the mountain and talks to Moses. And God codifies the Sabbath in the law. He writes a law about the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. Moses went up on the mountain, he came down with ten words, ten laws, that God said, these are the laws by which you will be governed. And the fourth one was this, the fourth commandment is, this, is, is Exodus 28-11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So he gives us the fourth commandment and commands us in no uncertain terms that we are to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And he does this both in the book of Exodus and in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Exodus is telling the story of the Israelites when they're leaving Egypt, and the book of Deuteronomy is the last sermon Moses gives before they enter the Promised Land. So he bookends the law with the Ten Commandments, and included in there is this fourth commandment. And in Exodus, when God gives the fourth commandment, he reiterates the weekly Sabbath as a creation mandate. The purpose that we, that for which we, we celebrate the Sabbath is because God rested on the seventh day when he created the world. So the purpose for Sabbath is rest. Rest. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, rest. Don't do your work on the seventh day. On the, on the seventh day. So remembering is obedience, and keeping it holy is obedience. And the obedience looks like rest from our weekly employment. Just like God rested from his creation work. The rest is for you, and it's for everybody in your community. It's for you and all under, under your authority. It's for all who serve you. And it's for all who are in your vicinity. That's who the rest is for. Now in Deuteronomy, remembrance of God's re redemption for his people is tied to Sabbath rest. So God gives us further, further uh, development on Sabbath observance. So in Deut Deuteronomy 5, we read, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. And then he reiterates, The sixth day shall you labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor any stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So it's still for rest. But then he goes and he adds this, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So he's, he's developing the Sabbath day. So keeping the Sabbath holy was a way that God would distinguish his own people from the Gentile nations. This Weekly communal observance identified Jews as members of God's people and recipients of his deliverance. They were redeemed people. The rest from the rigorous slavery of Egypt in this salvation is remembered in the weekly rest from the labor of the work that God called them to do. And all of this points to God's great generosity and grace. It says, God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. And the point of Sabbath, then, is to remind us every week about God. Every week, 
we need to be reminded that God is in control. Every week, we need to remember that He has redeemed us and we are bought with a price. And Sabbath then becomes a constant refrain throughout the history of Israel. And when Israel failed, the prophets tell us that it's because they forgot His Sabbath. The Israelites forgot their God. They didn't remember the salvation of God. They didn't honor Him. They didn't observe His day. They didn't keep it holy. Instead, they went about their own work, their own business. And I have a whole bunch of verses here. And I don't think I want to read through all of them. There's a lot. But I'm going to read through a few of them. Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1. Isaiah is the first of the major prophets. And, and, and the major prophets were called the major prophets because they were held in high esteem by the Israelites uh, of Jesus' day. And, and so they were like the hierarchy of, 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 of how regularly they would be reading from these. Isaiah was way up there. This is like one of the most important prophetic books there. And Isaiah starts his book, his prophecy, talking about the wickedness of Judah. And, and, and starting at verse 13, he says this, Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in ends of the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What Isaiah is saying there is that the Israelites have refused to obey God's law. And they've turned his Sabbaths into hypocrisy. Instead of a, a time where God's people are, are drawn to him and, and holiness is celebrated... Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Instead of being holy, they become corrupt. They violate His Sabbath, and therefore they become. Uh, they, God is turned off by them. Later on in Isaiah, in chapter 56, when Isaiah moves past all the condemnation that's coming on the Israelites, he makes prophecies about the future of the Sabbath of, of Israel. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. 
So God is going to bring the Gentiles into his people. He's going to make them one, and they are not going to defile his Sabbath. And this is something that we look forward to in the Old Testament law. We look forward to the purification of the Sabbaths. In Ezekiel chapter 20, we hear more uh, of teaching about the Sabbath. Therefore I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. Then I said, I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. But I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles. In whose sight I had brought them out. So I also raised my hand in an oath to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, because they had despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my eyes spared them from destruction. I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. Now, there's a lot more in the prophets about how the Israelites failed to keep his Sabbaths. And the, because of their wickedness on the Sabbath, God judged them. And from all of this, we learn that the purpose of the Sabbath was holiness. God wanted a holy people with right hearts before him. A holy people who practiced mercy and justice. Remember, all of this is because God created us in his image and he wants us to be like him. So he commands us to observe his Sabbath like he rested from his work on the seventh day. But they were not like him. God set a day apart, the purpose for which he consecrated it and honored it was so that we would remember he is God and we are not. And he commanded his people to honor it so that they might be set apart and consecrated and honored. So that all through the Old Testament we have the, the Jewish nation given this command to honor the Sabbath and to keep it. And they failed conspicuously and continually. So God judged them and sent them into exile. But then he, gave, he brought them back to the land. And we read about how the exiles were brought back in Ezra and Nehemiah. And then in Nehemiah we read how the Israelites were profaning the Sabbath by allowing the merchants to come in and sell on the Sabbath. And Nehemiah reprimanded them and God blessed him for that. But by the time we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus. And we need to know that Jesus does not abolish the Sabbath. The, we, in the New Testament and, and today, we, practice, we see the Sabbath being practiced on Sunday. And we need to understand why is that? Why, why do we practice Sabbath on Sunday? But the first thing we need to see is that Jesus didn't abolish it. 
Matthew 5, verse 17 tells us that I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Not one jot or one tittle will pass away. Included in that law is the Sabbath. All through his ministry, Jesus faithfully observed and rectified Sabbath observance. He was constantly hounded by the Pharisees about how his disciples were observing the Sabbath. And part of that was because the Jews of that day were uh, convinced that if they could get the Sabbath right, just get it perfectly right one Sunday, or maybe two Sundays, then God would send his Messiah. And they were wrong about that. God sent his Messiah despite the fact that they couldn't get it right. But Jesus faithfully observed the Sabbath. He would attend the synagogue services. He would clarify the understanding about doing good works on the Sabbath. He defended his disciples for eating grain as they walked through the field by pointing to David and the showbread. And his disciples and the apostles faithfully attended Sabbath services in their ministries after the resurrection throughout the New Testament and the Gospels. But now, why Sunday? Why does the Sabbath shift from Saturday to Sunday? And the Bible does not give us black and white express warrant for this. But it does give us lots of hints. And Christian tradition also gives us some basis for this. And the basis for which the Sabbath switches to Sunday is the resurrection. In John verse 20... We read John 20, verses 19 to 23. We read this. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. This same day, this is the actual day of the resurrection. Jesus was crucified. Three days later, he arose. This, that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus appeared to the disciples for the first time on the day of the resurrection, which was the first day of the week. And then John 20, verse 26, referencing back to this passage, he says, And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. Now, you know, we count differently than the Jews did. The Jews counted the same day also. So they, they counted Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So they're counting eight days, but it's Sunday, the first day of the week. After eight days, his disciples were again inside. And this is the second time Jesus appears to his disciples. Now, this is rather key, that Jesus appears to his disciples on Sunday, and then he appears to them again on Sunday. And, and this time he appears so that he can prove to Thomas that, hey, look, I am alive. So, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. And then we see from, that the Christian tradition from early on worshipped on Sunday. And there are other hints in the New Testament. Uh, now, there was certainly overlap between the Old Testament Sabbath and the New Testament Christian Sundays, because 
as long as the temple stood, the, the law was not yet abolished. So the church sort of, the early church had the choice of two Sabbaths every week. And there was, so there's certainly overlap. So Paul preached in the synagogues on the Jewish Sabbath regularly. But frequently he was asked to come back the next day, and he did. Or on the next Sabbath, and he did that too. But early on, we see that Christians start to meet on Sundays. In Acts 20, verse 7, and this is the, the Eutychus passage where he falls out the window, we read this. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So we have a Christian service. They're, they're having communion. They're breaking bread. And he preaches to them. And this is a really long worship service. <laughs> they preach till midnight. And that's when Eutychus falls out the window. Um, and then in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 verse 2, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he references what he taught to the Galatians. Now the Corinthians were in Greece and the Galatians were in Turkey. But he says this in, in, in connection to both of them. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So he's, he's speaking of common practice of meeting on the first day of the week, for them to set aside their offerings to, to give to him when he comes. And then in Revelation 1 verse 10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And that's the only reference that we have in the Bible to the Lord's day. But it's, it's widely received to, to be a reference to the Lord's day. Sunday. The day on which the Christians would get gathered together to meet. Now, this shift from the seventh day to the first day observance could be based on nothing less than a new creation. If it took creation for God to give us the first Sabbath, it takes a recreation for God to change that. As Jesus founded his teaching on marriage, on a creation mandate, he's talking about divorce, he says, from the beginning it was not so. Before the law, Therefore, since we know that creation, uh, that, that Sabbath is a creation mandate, it takes a recreation for Jesus to change this Sabbath. And it only makes that, it only makes sense that that means the Sabbath would, the Old Testament Sabbath would need to be superseded or fulfilled. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 19, we read this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So God is recreating the world. In Ephesians 4 verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
And in Revelation 21, verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And that's a reference to God getting rid of the Gentile distinction that the, 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 they, the world is brought into the, the pale of the church. God is in control. So if the Old Testament Sabbath looked forward to rest at the end of the week, the New Testament Sabbath is established in rest, in life, and in resurrection. So the Jews got it wrong. The Jews got Sabbath wrong. They thought that they could be holy enough on the outside. And Jesus takes the blinders off and says, no, Sabbath is about holiness on the inside. It's not about law. It's not about law. It's not about do this, do that. It's about grace. It's not about earning God's favor. It's about the truth that God loves us despite our sin. And the truth is that the foundation of the new creation is resurrection. Everything hinges on Jesus Christ's resurrection. Everything rests on that. God wants us to be holy, and Jesus is the way. So we need to remember Jesus. We need to remember our redemption in Him. Rest is in Jesus. Now the way to that rest is death and resurrection. And now we know why Sabbath rest is so much work. And I wish I could spend more time. We're running out of time on this. But, but Sabbath rest is a boatload of work. You all know this. Getting all the kids dressed and ready and out the door, showing up on time, putting your best foot forward, working hard to worship. Our worship services here demand a lot from you. You have to sing. You have to pay attention. You have to work hard at worshiping. But that's because what happens on Sunday is death and resurrection. God is recreating you. He's, he's, he's obliterating you and he's reconstituting you. And that can hurt. That can hurt. God is remaking us. What did Jesus do on Sabbath? He served others. He proclaimed the gospel that he was the Messiah, and he healed the sick and the lame, and he cast out demons. Sunday is about other people. It's about loving others. It's about humbling ourselves and quieting ourselves before God. And it's a lot of work for our sinful hearts to die to ourselves. And at the same time, it's our only hope, and it's the easiest thing in the world. It's the simplest thing in the world. Just let go and trust God. He is the source of life, strength, and renewal. He gives us a free gift of life. And it just made me think of uh, a passage from Isaiah. God gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. 
But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So rest in Jesus on your Sabbath. All glory be to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. before our God in answer to his call, that as we go through the cycles of weekly worship and Sabbath renewal, we may remember the great salvation of our God, that he sent us a redeemer, and he reconciles us to himself, as he is reconciling all the world to himself. This process is both difficult and easy. It's death and life. We must humble ourselves that we might be lifted up by Him. In confession, we declare our unworthiness and our shame. And God speaks peace to us. Your sins are forgiven through Christ. In consecration, we are consumed and awed by His majesty. And we offer ourselves completely to Him in being put to death by His word laying our souls bare before him and giving him our tithes and offerings. And God speaks peace to us. Remember the gospel. Jesus died for you and I raised him for you. All things are made new. And in communion, we are encouraged and emboldened, strengthened and fed so that we can go out and be his people. We humble ourselves and believe God's words, and God speaks peace to us. Christ's body broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.